Hello and welcome to this very exciting Lent special edition of Faith in Politics. If you've not listened to us before, we are Bethan and Will and this is the Joint Public Issues Team podcast. And JPIT exists to resource Christians and church congregations to reflect and to pray and to act on the big issues in our society today. We're made up of the Methodist Church, the Baptist Union, the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church. And we are delighted that you're listening to us, whether you're involved in any of those churches or none of them. You are very welcome to join us in this Lent campaign. So here at JPIT this Lent we have a new campaign called the Living Lent campaign. This is a way for individuals and groups to get involved in environmental action and um, looking at how our individual actions have an environmental impact. The campaign gives you various options on things you can give up for Lent, everything from going meat-free to not buying anything new to limiting your use of the car. In this episode we're going to be talking a bit about the campaign. We have an interview with Rachel Lampard who's our team leader here at JPIT and she's going to be telling us about the campaign and why we should care about the environment as Christians. We're then going to have a musing with Hannah Brown, who's also a member of the JPIT team. Then me and Hannah are going to have a talk about an environmental news story and how our actions as individuals can really help to improve our carbon footprint. And finally, we're going to share with you the different ways you can get involved and what we here at the JPIT team are doing to get involved in the Living Lent campaign. So for this special Lent episode, we're going to have a conversation with Rachel Lampard, who is our team leader at the Joint Public Issues team. So Rachel, could you tell us a little bit about the Lent campaign? Uh, Hi, Bethan. Yes, absolutely. Um, We're focusing on Lent and climate change this year because um, climate change is happening now and it is very serious. Um, And as a result, we all need to take really significant and important action. Um, All around the world we can see in the newspaper there are severe climate and weather events happening and they are affecting the poorest countries most and the poorest countries first. So climate change isn't something we need to prevent in the future, it's actually happening now. Lent is about realising that we have a a role in this. Obviously government and industry need to take action as well. Um, But the um, IPPC report on climate change this week uh, talked about the um, level of urgent and unprecedented action that we need to take. And this affects all of our lifestyles. So with the Living Lent campaign, we're proposing six challenges that people can take up. Um, They don't have to do them all. They can just do one of them. Um, But they're six challenges that um, are about areas of our lives which... Uh, deeply affect climate change. So, for example, it might be about going uh, meat-free. It might be about not buying anything new and not being consumerist for the entirety of Lent. It might be about changing your transport uh, decisions or about living locally. So we're encouraging people to take up one of these challenges. You won't be doing it alone. When you sign up, uh, you'll be joining a, a community of other people who are also taking this this step, um, this step into the wilderness, as we imagine uh, Lent, um, and doing it doing it together. We're going to be providing uh, resources every day during Lent. Uh, there are going to be very practical ideas. There are going to be uh, devotions um, and reflections during Lent. Um, so together, as we as we step forward. Um, with the horror of climate change around us into this wilderness period. We do so as Christians um, because we have the joy of Easter um, and the resurrection ahead of us. And living in a world that we believe that God has created and God continues to love, 
we love that world and we live in the hope that God will reconcile all things to himself. Fabulous. And could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing personally? My family, my children have decided that they're going to go meat free. So uh, that's what uh, they're going to do and that impacts on the rest of the family. So uh, they're going to be giving up their, their sausages and their bacon and uh, all the other things that they enjoy. Um, and they've talked between themselves, we've talked as a family about the uh, impact that uh, eating meat, um, particularly red meat, um, has on the environment um, and the reduction in carbon emissions that they will uh, be responsible for by removing that from their from their diet. So they're going to be going meat free. I'm going to try something else personally and not buy anything new. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, yeah, there's a let out for, for toiletries and uh, essentials and medicines and things like that. Um, but instead of buying stuff each time thinking, is it something that I could mend? Uh, is there a way I could borrow or share something? Or is it actually something I can do without for Lent? Um, and I think that's part of a, a Lenten discipline. All these things are about not just giving up chocolate for Lent, but giving up something serious that means that we can have an impact on climate change. And where can people go if they want to get involved? Very simply, you go to the website livinglent.org and there you can find all the information about the different challenges and how you can take these on. And then you can sign up to receive the uh, community resources right the way through Lent. Fabulous. Thank you so much for that, Rachel. So for this Living Lent special, we have a musing from Hannah Brown, who's a member of the JPIT team. Hannah's musing has been inspired by the Living Lent resources based on the lectionary passages set during Lent. To many, Lent is seen as a time of going without. The tradition of Lenten fasting sees people give something up, in order to focus their attention on God and make space to explore more deeply God's place in their lives. It can be seen as a time of lacking, of not quite enough, of wilderness. However, this year the lectionary structure begins our Lenten journey at an unusual point. As usual, the Lenten journey is founded on remembrance of Jesus' biblical call into the wilderness and even before that, the call of God's people out of exile and into the desert. However, instead of emphasising stepping into the wilderness, the lectionary structure this year begins with a revelation of God's provision. In Deuteronomy 26, the Old Testament reading of Lent week 1, the Israelite nation have been delivered out of their 40 years in the wilderness and have reached a land flowing with milk and honey. It is not the unrelenting and sparse desert they have travelled through, but the promised land, overflowing with the sustenance and sweetness of God's provision. Unusually for a long journey into the wilderness, we begin with hope. And for the Israelite nation, this long-awaited hope this sign of God's salvation is intrinsically linked to the land. What once was barren and broken is now overflowing in the abundance of God's transformation. A journey through the wilderness 
has been ended by the transforming hope of God's goodness. Moreover, the Israelites recognise God's provision of a transformed land by offering it back. Deuteronomy 26 calls for the Israelites to offer to God the first fruits of the land's provision, the results of their work on the land, in thanksgiving to God for his provision. In a continual act of gratitude, the Israelites see that this is living land from which they can grow, and it comes from and belongs to the Lord. Beginning our Lenten journey into the wilderness, we do so with a reminder of God's promise and deliverance. We look back into the wilderness, knowing that the hope of transformation lies ahead. Psalm 27, part of the following week's lectionary reading, sums this up. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Like the deliverance of the Israelite nation in Deuteronomy, not only does the psalmist sing of God's goodness, but trusts that he will see the provision of God's salvation in a land he knows and lives in. It is the transformation of a land from which milk and honey can be used to feed our children, a sign of God's goodness we can experience on this earth. So, what does this mean for our Lenten journey this year? As we step into Lent, we hold before God a land slipping into wilderness. Around the world, people continue to toil in affliction that we may live in a land of many resources. In our hands, God's gift of a transformed land is becoming barren. But, following God's people, we return this Lent to a time of remembering the wilderness by offering back to God the land given to us. We recognise that the first fruits of God's gift we offer back are scarred by our misuse of resources. Yet, whilst all we have to offer back to God is wilderness, we do so in remembrance of God's provision. We remember a land of milk and honey, and trust in God's transforming salvation, a salvation which we trust will come to us in the land of the living. This is not to say that in handing back God the gifts we have been given, we let go of responsibility. In fact, the offering of the first fruits is representative of a partnership, an act of coalition through that which God has provided. With God's gifts of transformation, the Israelite nation built a land to feed the generations, a reminder of the cooperation between God and God's people in seeing salvation come. We haven't kept the land of God's provision in a way which has served or glorified God. Yet ours is a God of transformational grace, a God who invites us into partnership to offer the land back to God's salvation. This Lent, we remember that this land is God's and that it exists to display God's transforming hope. Once again, we will see God's goodness in the land of the living. If you'd like to find the resources that have inspired Hannah's musing, please go to the Living Lent website.
thank you so much for that lovely musing, Hannah. Um, up next, me and Hannah are going to have a little news conversation about some environmental stories that have been in the news recently. So, Hannah, what can you what can you tell us about that? Well, as we speak, Bethan, um, there are thousands of young people actually on school strike for the climate. Um, so today, um, Friday the 15th um, of February, um, thousands of young people are following in the footsteps of um, the Swedish young person Greta Thunberg. And she has been on climate protest from school for 26 weeks now, which is half a year. Um, and today, thousands of children around the country are joining her. Um, which is really exciting um, and actually I think a great reminder that actually we should be led by young people in this because it is their planet and the planet of future generations that we're aiming to take care of. Yeah and it's such a testament to how um, in the public consciousness the environmental movement is at the moment that young people are, are saying actually this matters more and this matters enough for us to take a stand and it's mm. so inspiring and I feel so inspired by all these yeah. people who are who are striking. Yeah. I find it um, quite difficult actually because whilst I'm really encouraged that thousands of young people are stepping out, actually they're going to be standing in Parliament Square outside Parliament mm. and I'm worried that it will get reduced to um, the lovely young people did something but actually our policy makers going to listen um, to the voices of young people. These young people can't vote um, and we hope that our political system doesn't just get reduced to listening to those who can um, or those who have power. Um, but actually, will this turn into action? Yeah, and it all comes back to policymakers need to show that the young people of this country the respect they deserve, mm -hmm. because they may not be able to vote now, but in a few years they will be the people who are, are voting and are keeping... Um, keeping MPs in their constituencies mm. um, but what really needs to happen is for MPs to start like going out onto Parliament Square and talking with these young people because they're literally over the road from where they work like it's a two-minute walk mm. you know <laughs> and actually this is a generation who have been born into and brought up in a world where they're, that they're told is dying if it's right that it's pushed them to action for that and yeah. it's important and I think yeah we should respect that and it shouldn't just be a public a public show mm. but this should really be a call for change that is listened to absolutely and i do think that there's there's as every year goes by the awareness of the issue becomes bigger yeah and actually there's been some interesting research done recently um a news article this week that came out from the iowa state university um from a professor of psychology craig anderson who's been suggesting that um climate change doesn't just lead to deprivation within our climate but within humanity too mm. and that it can lead um, quite directly um, onto um, more violence and aggression amongst people. I think that's really interesting actually he was saying that um, well that for a start higher temperatures um, increase the rate of irritability and hostility within people um, that lead to violence but also that natural disasters and failing crops and economic instability that's caused by climate change um, is actually something that brings about what well, a natural response, some might suggest, um, of violence. And I think it is that sense of scarcity. Mm -hmm. um, people are recognising that the resources that we have are, are becoming more scarce and actually people are panicking, um, which is a really interesting connection to draw, actually. Yeah, and when I was reading that article, I couldn't help remember about how protests always happen in the summer mm. and and they almost always finish when the rains come i remember the the london riots we had and um, because the, the heat of the moment not only in a metaphorical sense but in a physical in a like the sun sense mm. like the weather it, it spurs people on and it's such an interesting way to 
to think about that in a massive international way, not just in individual country protests, but like how this could re- could result in an immense amount of violence that people hadn't really considered before. Yeah, and actually in a less direct sense as well, in that um, what we're sort of calling eco-migrants, people who have been displaced because of climate change in there, in the places that they've um, been born into, in the communities they've lived in for hundreds of years, are moving, and that is pushing a lot of people... Um, to, to political un- instability, violence, civil wars, wars between nations over the fact that land that is thriving is scarce. Mm. Um, and that might not be a, a link that we draw directly, but actually in countries um, where more civil unrest is happening, um, displacement can often be traced back. And yeah, we're a, we're a humanity um, searching for land to be safe on, and actually there's less of that happening. And the incredible thing as well is that whilst our resources are depleting we do have enough to go around mm. and we are slow to make the connection between people going without and us having plenty um whilst that might be a passing thought actually we don't recognize often enough that what we have should be shared um and that whilst it doesn't seem very hopeful to recognize that violence and aggression are going to be natural results of these um, situations that actually that can be changed by action that we can take. I think another article that came up in the news recently that um, that feels a little bit more hopeful in that sense, but also reminds us of our call to individual action um, was an was a piece of research done by Carbon Brief, who've suggested um, well from their research um, shown um, that the UK CO two emissions have reduced by thirty eight percent since nineteen ninety, which feels um, yeah, I have mixed a mixed response to that because both it's really um, a joyful news that actually change is happening, um, but also that shouldn't settle us back into a comfortable response. Um, yeah, it was really interesting to see that actually the result uh, that result came from um, a mixture of sources that it wasn't just one group that was responsible for that, but actually it was cleaner energy mixes, so cleaner energy. Um, used um, more within home energy um, fuel and the fuel used in industry um, reduced fuel consumption so people using less both again in the home and in industry and reduced electricity use in both of those areas as well and so it was both systemic and individual change that that made that difference and we have to really celebrate the work we've done here but we can't just limit it to this country Mm. and we have to try and work with international partners to um, make these these new fuels easy to access affordable and um hopefully more efficient Mm. than coal and oil yeah and technology has been a huge thing in that and actually because technology is worth so much financially we become competitive around ownership Mm. and actually um does there need to be a, a bigger shared drive like you suggest between sharing technological um, resources that enable us to make change rather than just seeing it as an advantage for an individual company or industry. I always think of, um, this is a little bit of a funny story, but I always think of um, on the roads, the the cat's eyes, the little Mm. um, uh, reflective circles on the road. They were created by a man and he decided that he wasn't going to copyright them. And all his lawyers said that this is a ridiculous idea, you won't make any money. And he said, yes, I know, but it's going to save hundreds of thousands possibly millions of lives and it has Mm. and that's because he was willing to sacrifice his um creation to a wider to a wider good and they're now used internationally Mm. and then that's a a very 
precise example, but that idea of, of sort of releasing technology and releasing um, ownership of ideas mm. into the, the ether of the world mm. is something that I think we actually really need to try and push for. Yeah. Um, but that's hard because we yeah. want to feel proud of the things we create and we should. But this is not a, a national problem. This is an international problem, and as been, as has been said many times, it's the the poorest in the world who are the most affected, sadly. Um, but that's not to say we won't see effects here, because we will. Um, it's just only time will tell, really. And actually, um, that can seem quite overwhelming, actually looking at it as an international problem. And whilst that's really important to consider something that this um, piece of research does very well, is, is show that actually... Um, the voice of people who've said it's time for change has made a difference in these areas. Mm. So actually the transition to renewable energy, so wind power, bioenergy and solar power, has been the largest driver in terms of reducing those carbon emissions. And it's been responsible for 37% of electricity sector emissions reductions in 2017. Wow, that really is people power. So yeah, and that's companies actually choosing to shift their investments. Mm. But that is because there's been higher higher demand Mm. and actually um some of the choices that we're making during glent and the ways that we are asking people to sort of shift their lifestyle structures is going to make a difference and the second largest driver was lower electricity use Mm. and whether that's because of technological advancements that in industry less energy can be used in order to produce the same results or because of industrial shifts in terms of what we're producing in this country and what you need to make that happen actually lower energy use in the home better insulation which means we don't have to use so much um on heating our homes quite literally switching off light switches switching off switches at the wall um they might seem like small actions and actually comparably to some of those big industrial changes they are but it's about shifting that mentality to show that this is important we're making a noise to say this is important and actually the people who can make change will make change And I think the biggest thing that I found um, with this piece of research is that at the end they call for policy implementation. And they say, oh, this is great, but we need to protect it. And actually that is something that needs to happen at a policy level, a national and an international level. We need to say, okay, we can see that this change is happening. Let's protect it and make sure it it continually happens so that this progress can continue to be made. Thank you for that, Hannah. That's really inspiring as to what we can do to um to change our behavior to help the planet and in a moment we're gonna uh, take you to the jpic team as they tell tell us all about what they're uh, what they're taking up and what they're giving up for lent um um, but the one thing that we really want to encourage people is that this this campaign is about making a noise and it's about inspiring people to not only change their individual actions but also to um pressure organizations and policy makers and our politicians to also make a noise about the climate and to push massive change that needs to happen because we all know that individual action is really important but big political changes in the international and national um, world are also really important and they are highly interrelated the individual and the national and the international all have to happen together in order to try and help our climate get to a level where everybody will be able to thrive. So with that, Will and I are going to have a little conversation about what we're giving up, and then we're going to talk to the JPIC team about what they're doing this Lent. 
Bethan, what are you going to be giving up for Living Lent? So this Lent, I'm going to be doing two things because I'm I'm already a vegetarian. So I'm going to go vegan and see if I can do it. And actually, me and my mum are doing it together. And she lives down on the south coast and I'm based in London. And we're going to be um, swapping and sharing recipes on how we can attempt to have like tasty vegan meals all month. And I'm also going to attempt to do the no buy challenge where you don't buy anything new for the whole of Lent. And let's see if I can not buy anything. Let's see if it works. I feel utterly upstaged, Bethan, because I am going vegetarian for Lent and I am not the world's greatest cook and I I do tend to rely quite a lot on bacon and various other easy meats for my for my dinner and so I I'm going vegetarian and and this is quite a big step for me so um, while I feel upstaged by you going vegan and not buying anything over Lent I I feel quite proud of myself that I'm doing something good for the environment and hopefully manage to survive 40 whole days without meat because I know that it's really good for the environment. And the one thing that's really important to remember about this whole campaign is it's about doing your best and about the impact of individual actions on really helping to reduce our carbon footprint. And um, just to see whether these uh, this short-term actions of giving up something for 40 days can uh, change our behaviour and change the way we look at the environment and look about our impact on the environment. So now that you've all learned about what Will and I are doing this Lent, we're now going to take you around the JPIT team. Hello, uh, my name's David, I'm a Baptist minister and I'm going meat-free for Lent as part of the Living Lent campaign. I've chosen this one because um, I'm the only meat eater in my house and uh, I enjoy it particularly because I'm trying to lose weight and so meat is a really good thing to eat uh, for me at the moment and so it's going to be quite a challenge to go without it. Hi, I'm Rue and I am giving up single-use plastics for Lent. I have been really concerned about what's been happening in the world, especially in the seas, uh, with how wildlife has got caught up in plastic, but also how it, it will affect my diet as well, that um, you know, fish and other uh, marine mammals have been found with little bits of plastic in them that just get, they don't disappear, they just get broken down into smaller and smaller pieces, and I don't want that in their diet or in mine either. Hello, I'm Simeon. Um, I'm going to be trying to go meat-free for Lent. I'm not looking forward to giving up bacon and Sunday roasts, but um, I think it's a good challenge to take up for the sake of the climate. Hi, I'm Beth, and I'm giving up single-use plastics this Lent for Living Lent. And um, the reason I'm doing that is because they forgot to take our recycling bins last week, and I realised quite how much rubbish we produce as a household. So my challenge is to cut down on that this Lent. My name is Paul Morrison. My family is giving up meat this Lent. And the main reason is that my eight-year-old daughter desperately wants us to and thinks that it's a wonderful thing for the environment and for our bodies. And I can't say no to her. My name's Hannah. um, And for Lent, I am giving up meat. Um, I think it'll be a little bit of a challenge because my favourite food is lasagna. But I'm pretty sure you can make a good vegetable lasagna, so I think I'll be fine. Thank you so much for joining us for this Lent podcast special. We're really glad you could listen and we really hope that you'll get involved in the Lent campaign and have a think about how how your experience this Lent can help the environment. Again, if you're interested, please go to the Living Lent website, which is livinglent.org.